Hello, and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Tom Friesen. I'm one of the, a member of the board of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims. The podcast this week is coming to you from London, Ontario, in Canada. Dan has been told to keep his speaking voice to a bare minimum as he works with a therapist to bring his voice back to full strength. A virus he caught back in April damaged his vocal cords, so he's out of action for at least two months. In the meantime, he's asked pilgrims from around the world to conduct interviews on his behalf, and I'm delighted to be with you this week. Just by way of background, the Canadian Company of Pilgrims is made up of over 30,000 members across 18 chapters. We support pilgrims who are preparing for the, to walk the Camino, and we provide a community of involvement and company to those who have returned from the Camino, and would like to maintain the sense of camaraderie and levity the Camino provides. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe. I've heard from many pilgrims this year that the Camino Francaise is in particular very, very busy. Reports from people on the Camino suggest it is probably best to book a night or two ahead if you can. The Camino itself is a chance to explore. We all loved adventure stories when we were children, stories of great journeys, great discoveries. The Camino is a place to find that energy again, to reconnect with that part of our psyche that yearns for new challenges and insights. I know one thing's for sure. You'll have some days that are easier than others. You'll think, why on earth am I doing this? You'll question your motivations, but in no time, you'll find you're getting fitter. The hills are not quite so steep. The towns, the towns seem closer together. You'll meet the same people. Faces become familiar. You might even share a joke or a story with a fellow pilgrim and find yourself wandering into a town square to hear someone calling your name to reshare the joke or the story. It's company, and it's a collective pilgrimage. Those friends you make may be friends for just a day, you might walk, they might walk beside you for a few days. You might run in, into them time and time again. I'm here today with Dale Boost, who is a good friend of mine. Uh, and Dale, Dale is going to answer some questions for you today. Dale, welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you very much, Peregrino. <laughs> Before we get to the Camino, tell us a little about, about yourself. I'm, I live in London here, Ontario. Been here for many, many years. Been married 43 years three daughters and six lovely grandchildren. I've been on to Spain seven times for pilgrimages, and on three of those times I've served as hospitalero. Uh, my first Camino was in 2003. How and when did you first hear about the Camino? Late 2002, on TV, I was walking out of the house here, and um, on the TV there was this, video being played of a big metal cylinder flying through the air above the heads of these people and smoke's pouring out of it, the organs playing away, and it was just pure drama. It just captured me. It's, the sight of it was just, it was a very special sight to me. And my three daughters are sitting there, and I, I said to them as I'm walking out the door, I said, I don't, I don't know where that is, but before I die, I'm going to be in that room. And it took me about two months to find out it was on TVO, the Television Ontario. And the program was in French called Croix, Believe. And it was about this elderly man's walk on the Camino de Santiago. So that was my first initial indication of what this thing is. And now I find out it's a pilgrimage and it's in Spain. I'm starting to learn Spanish. 
and I loved, would have loved to be on a pilgrimage, so it's really become attractive to me. And by 2003, um, I'd bought some plane tickets, and I'm ready to go. And the only information I could really find was from, at that time, was from the Confraternity of St. James in England. And they were very helpful with getting me information. And just two weeks before I was to get on a plane, I didn't realize there was a pilgrim group in London here, about three years old, and very, but very small at that time. Two weeks before I'm leaving, I meet a guy, and we're having a coffee, and he's asking me what I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks, and I tell him, and he said, well, I've been on the Camino de Santiago, while well, I almost, it floored me that this guy that I'm sitting with, I met just now, has been on the Camino. So I'm pumping him with questions, and Jim is not being very helpful because he doesn't want me to take on his adventure as and use them as expectations. He didn't want me to just be disappointed that the things that he experienced did not happen to me. And I appreciated that after I'd been on the Camino. But he did tell me one thing that I really, I always remember. He said, Dale, when you're on pilgrimage, uh, there's only three things that you have to do that you should be doing. Uh, one is find a place to eat, uh, find a place to sleep, and help other people. And the rest will fall into place. And for me, that's, that's so true. So seven times on Camino Dale, what do you think it is that lures you back time after time? Medicine. Uh, the Camino, to me, is, is medicine. It... Um, you know, I think I think we all get wounded or beat up or bashed around or have collisions with life here and there, and we need we need we get bruised. Uh, when I'm over on the Camino, it gives me time to disconnect from everything here and look at what's happened to me. Uh, is there something I can do about it? Uh, people in relationships that's really important to me. Have I disappointed people? I look at friends. Tom provides a friendship to me. What does what is important about Tom's friendship to me? And am I doing my part? Am I am I doing what I should be doing to be half of this relationship? You know, is there more that I should do to be a better friend or an equal friend, or somebody that's disappointed me? Is it? something that I should bring up to them to let them make them aware of it or do I continue to carry a resentment around the rest of my life and be upset about it I have I'm, I'm a human being <clears throat> I have shortcomings I have character defects and when I'm over there I can look at that stuff in quiet about myself and knowing that my Camino begins when I come home that's when the work begins what have I discovered over there about myself that I want to change. And, you know, I have, I have many good relationships with people and they're very important to me. And when I'm looking at them over there, I might spend a couple hours just thinking about George or Mary or whoever, you know, what do they provide to me? You know, and, and, and what do I give them? Am I giving them enough? So uh, when I come home, I can work on that and approach that relationship differently from from what from what it was before and do the best I can. I used to think I wasn't prejudiced. 
you know, I had a good upbringing. Mother and father were really good to me. <clears throat> I get over there, I start thinking about that. Really, Dale, you're not prejudiced. You don't have any prejudices at all. You know, it's, you know, is it the color of the skin? Is it their income level? Is it the way they can't speak English? Is it the different language? Is it where they live? Is it their country doing something terrible to another country? It goes on and on and on. I realize that I have prejudices and I need to work on those as well. So <clears throat> to me, the medicine is my healing and my getting better. And I'm really fortunate to Tom to have an open prescription I can always go back. I can always go back, always go back to the Camino and get help and get my medicine and come back here to Canada and heal and get better and do, do the work that I need to do. So as well, I really enjoy being over there. So it's, it's, a, it's a big bonus for me as well, being there. So you are keeping in touch with friends from around the world. Yes, been very fortunate. Even that first 2003 Camino, a uh, dear friend, Henny Denek in uh, New York, you know, we've been, that's 20 years now, we've been sending books back and forth. She's been up here to my house and our family here, and we've been down to visit with her family, and Christopher in England, he's 2003, he's been here, we've been there, and that's, it's an ongoing thing for at least 20 years, some of them, and uh that's really special because when you meet the kind of people that we do meet on the Camino, uh, we soon realize that, you know, after the first couple of days, when we say, why did you come to the Camino? It's not really because, oh, I had a holiday or I had a bit of a break at work or I'm whatever. Then you, you finally, you do find out what the real purpose of their, of their pilgrimage was. And, then you understand better about them that they're so much like you or me. That there's more, there's more discovery going on about themselves as well. So, Henny is a member of our local chapter, the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, even though she lives in New York State. Yeah. Uh, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the Canadian Company of Pilgrims? Uh, up here in Canada, I'm uh, also a member of the Americans on the on the Camino group. Um, up here in Canadian Company of Pilgrims, I'm a co-coordinator, chapter coordinator for the London group. And our London group um, gets together uh, three or four times a year for our regular meetings. Across Canada, there's 18 to 20 groups and they all have chapter coordinators that do the same things that we do here we try to maintain uh, the groups together, have meetings, uh, welcome pilgrims back from our community, uh, send pilgrims away of intention with blessings, give them ex give them uh, information on guidebooks or routes that they might want to travel on. Our group here has been pretty pretty busy. Uh, I really like our group here. We're we're into. Uh, well, actually, we just had the Canadian Company of Pilgrims here in London. So we had all 18, 19 chapter coordinators here, billeted here in London, most of them. And the complete uh, board of directors of Canadian Company of Pilgrims here in London from a Thursday till a Sunday. 
and uh, it was a wonderful opportunity from not being on Zoom for three and a half years to being together and seeing each other and uh, having all of our meetings, and uh, it was a good bonding session. It was really, really special. Uh, Tom, you did a lot of work on it. Thank you so much. I did some work, but not as much at all, and it was great. Our local group here <coughs> is busy with uh, uh, being together in the community, which I like. The, the outreach is good here, that we we prepare a church supper uh, once every six weeks or so at St. Paul's or at St. John's uh, Anglican Church on St. James Street, which is kind of nice. And we do that as volunteers. And that church supper is for the community. So if anybody in the community or off the street will come in and have their free hot meal. We do that. We've done that for a number of years now. We help the church. and. We help with a little bit with their walkathons, or a pilgrim group. Um, the, the church helps us. They let us use their their church space for our meetings. So it's a it's a it's a it's a good relationship. We even have some our Camino books in their library. In the church, in the church library, so we have a little pilgrim area for for uh, pilgrimage book, uh, books. Our group also um, has been involved with St. Paul's Cathedral downtown London in their food bank. And we've also been trained in that same system at St. Paul's Cathedral for a compassionate presence to be to sit with the people from the community that come in off the street while they have a hot lunch downstairs. And the, the main theme of the compassionate presence is that we listen, that we let them do the talking and my wife thinks it's really funny that I had a one and a half day course on how to listen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great sense of community among the chapters. What kind of events and activities do you think are the most popular? Seems the most popular across Canada are walking groups, getting together for walking groups and coffee sessions and information sessions to invite people from the public into their meetings to learn about the Camino de Santiago uh, with, with regards to routes they might want to go on or, or information on how to, pack a, how to pack a backpack or shoes to wear, footwear, whatever. So they're, they're all active in their own ways, but the most, I think the most common way, the common activity they'd be involved in is, is walking groups and, and bring, helping other people understand about the pilgrimage. Tell us about your journey as a hospitalero. I'm pronouncing that in the Spanish way. Canadians would say hospitalero, but the Spanish wouldn't understand that. So I was trained in 2005 as a hospitalero, and I volunteer for hospital. Hospital is hospitalero voluntarios so the only albergues that they service are donativo and I like that that's why I chose that I would want to be with that group a donativo albergue is um, a pilgrim hostel albergue that allows anybody to stay there a pilgrim to stay there whether they have 10 euros or 5 euros or no euros and they get to stay there at, at donation only. 
the first uh, experience, they've all been great experiences, all three of them, for being a hospitalero in Spain, it's wonderful, I recommend it for anybody, anybody that's been on the pilgrimage. The uh, first one was half, you know, halfway across the Atlantic. We're, we're hearing that we're not going to Fonce Badan because it's not quite ready to open, but can you please go to Via Casar de Sirga? So we end up going there and opening that up in April <clears throat> and for a week. And they kept saying, well, Fonce Badan will be ready in another couple of days and you can go up there. And Via Casar de Sirga... Uh, Wonderful little place, you know. That's when we f first, I first learned that it's important to be part of the community. It's special to be part of the community that you're being, that you're providing service to. And I'm looking out the window and I see all the ladies out in the street sweeping the clean sidewalks because that's what they do. So I go downstairs and I get a broom and I start sweeping our clean sidewalk at the albergue and they're watching me and now soon after they're talking to me and now I'm <laughs> part of the cleaning group in the morning. It was great. Um, when, when we were there we had Canada pins to give to the little flag pins to give to the pilgrims. Uh, not really knowing if they'd all take them, but they all loved them. They all wanted these little flag pins that you, with the backing on them, you can pin them on their fabric, and they all wanted them, and uh, the next day they're gone, and we're singing goodbye to them, we're singing to them at night, and, um, you know, we're not supposed to be necessarily cooking, but oops, make an accident some days and cook too much for ourselves, so there's extra food in the fridge for pilgrims that don't have any. Oh, well, that happens once in a while. Then we moved to Fonce de Badan the next week. Now those pilgrims that we did service to in Bicasar de Sirga are arriving in Fonce de Badan at Domas Dea. And it's so nice to see them. They all got their Canada pins on still. They're so happy to see us. It's a homecoming. We in Bicasar de Sirga, it's um, four kilometers um, away from Carrion de las Condes. There weren't they weren't such a tight-knit group or a bonded group. By the time they got to Fonsibadan, there was that the relationships were starting and the bonding was happening in the groups. That was really nice to see. And they were so happy to see us again. And they all still had their Canada pins on. It was, it was really nice. And away they go in the morning and we're singing away. And uh, one of my favorite times with them is when that one of those nights when we... Uh, we say to the pilgrims after the supper that Tom's a great cook and Tom's cooking and I'm doing the cleanup. And we're cooking the same thing every night because they don't know what what was served last night. So uh, we serve them and uh, a pasta and a soup and bread and some wine usually. And after supper we say, well now we're gonna sing for our supper. And oh boy, the body language, people pushing away from the table. I'm going back to my bed. I'm not singing. And uh, Tom and I say, volunteer, well, we will sing first. So we're going to sing uh, Northwest Passage. Uh, oh, for just one time I would see the hand of Franklin. And Tom's a good singer, and I'm not so good. And I sang so bad. They're pulling themselves back to the table, thinking, I can, do <laughs> I can do better than that. 
You are inspirational, Dale. Inspirational. <laughs> Some of them are great singers, and that's a that's a it's a bonding event for them because now they're they're hearing each other sing in the morning. They're looking, at, they're talking to each other. I heard you sing last night. You were great. You were great. you're not so good. <laughs> they're making fun of each other, and it was really nice. And away they go. And as they head out, we sing to them. You know, and uh, and in Zamora, it was the same. We uh, it was a great time. We had pins for them. We sang to the pilgrims. We had the pilgrims singing. I love walking as a pilgrim. It's a great experience for me. I also love, as equal, uh, being a hospitalero, being of service, being part of the structure on the Camino. And that's important. And, and having the pilgrims come in and, and being of assistance to them. I was very fortunate in 2010, I was invited to the Encuentro, which is a gathering of hospitaleros that have done service in Spain in Santiago for four or five day session of learning about your experience, your experience, how you handled this problem, what you did with that you know, problem. And the cathedral in Santiago gave us the cathedral for an evening of uh, candlelight Vesper service. The cathedral was honoring us and recognizing us hospitaleros as being so important to the structure of pilgrimage on the Camino. They said, you can have the cathedral to yourself that night. And it was a wonderful event. We've both been studying Spanish for a few years now. Um, has the, the, the language learning added to your experience when you get on the, the Camino? Uh, very much so. The, you know, my first experience on the Camino in 2003, I didn't know much more than, you know, Camino, or Café Con Leche, Ola, and all this stuff, pretty basic stuff. But as I progressed with my fluency in Spanish, I became much more comfortable, and it was really nice to be able to go over there and by myself go into a bar or whatever and order my meal and talk to them about things, not just the weather or whatever, or what I wanted to eat or drink, about other things. And they were very, um, uh, they are impressed or they were encouraged to carry on the conversation because I'm a Canadian and I'm speaking Spanish like this is a little bit unusual and I'm a pilgrim so I'm of interest to them and that's really nice and those times when I can converse with them in Spanish uh, are really important rather than standing back or sitting back and saying I won't approach them because they won't understand me or I won't go and talk to those pilgrims because they are Spanish I can't understand them or they can understand me. So it's, as I get a bit more fluent as I go along, it's, be, it's been more comfortable being over there in Spain. Nice, nice. If someone's listening and they're thinking of walking the Camino Dale, would you advise them to learn at least some Spanish? Some if they can. It's important that uh, for them, I think, that, that they feel comfortable being there, that uh, they can... You know, go in and order what they want. I, I've had people hanging around me, our Norwegian guy or, or Dutch guy that doesn't speak any at all, and I sometimes think that they're hanging around with me because <laughs> I'm the only one that speaks some Spanish. But it would be nice if everybody, if they, if somebody going over there did have some basic Spanish at least to show that they're trying. And Spanish people are very, I found they're very forgiving. I can butcher the language early on and they're very forgiving and just they're willing to be very patient with me and 
it, it just adds to the to the pilgrimage to be able to be able to fit in a bit easier, a bit more comfortably, if you can converse a little bit of Spanish with people. And working as an hospitalero, I imagine at least basic Spanish would be, would be quite vital. It is, but not 100%, because the Spanish pilgrims that come in as well would realize that maybe if I don't speak very good Spanish, they would be helpful. They would hang around and help me out a little bit. Or the Germans. The Europeans always impress me that they're, that they're so multilingual. And if somebody's coming in um, and the hospitalero or lera does not converse very well in Spanish, somebody's going to help them out. So it's not, it's not a given that you have to be fluent to be a hospitalero, hospitalero. It's been my experience anyways. I always ask our trainees, what language do you smile in? <laughs> ah, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> um, Dale, one of the places we worked at Fonsabedon was only four kilometers down. I think it's the, high, the highest albergue on the Camino Francaise, and I think uh, about four kilometers from Cruz de Ferro. Do you want to talk a little about the, about the Cruz de Ferro? I know you were up there a couple of times during, during oh, your duties as an hospitalero. Yes, from, from Domus Dia in Fonsabedon. I went up one time with a pilgrim lady friend to walk her up to that level of the highest Camino on the or highest point of the Camino Frances. And I took some garbage bags because I knew it was not very clean, and that's a bit disappointing. That you know we travel over there, you know we're, we're guests in their country, and you hope that pilgrims are being respectful and clean and tidy. But it, when I got up to Cruz de Ferro the first time, it was pretty. It was pretty messy, so I went up with three bags of garbage and filled them up. I had running shoes, I had towels, I had water bottles, I had Coke cans, I had beer cans. And this is around the, the rock area, and I'm filling them up and putting them off to one side, and the Spanish pilgrims are coming up and asking me who I work for. Well, so I don't work, I'm a voluntario of Fonte Badan. And uh, they're embarrassed that, you know, the, here's this guy from Canada cleaning up in Spain the, the garbage around the Cruz de Jero. But that's the way it is. So uh, I did my thing there. I had a lot of fun there a couple of times. Uh, I've been by that. I've been on the French route three times. Camino Frances, once the first time I realized what was going on with my little pebble from my backyard here in Canada. The second and third time, I fall into a group, I love to go over there and the communitas of pilgrimage, you fall into a group eventually and we're walking along, we're getting up there and uh, I let the group go ahead to the cross and I, there's a maintenance building on the right. Well, I go behind the maintenance building, I get a big boulder, <clears throat> almost the size of a soccer ball and I put it in my backpack and I tie up my backpack, come around the front and I say, oh, oh, is this where we put our stone from, I put my stone from Canada, I can do that? Yeah, yeah, this is what you do. So I pull this big rock, rock out, they're all looking at me, oh, Jesus, this Canadian, oh, God. Uh, I said, had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> Super. How about arriving in Santiago de Compostela? Uh, that's a special, you know, on pilgrimage, uh, on the way over the first time, I'm wondering, I'm going to France, and then uh, I'm going to Paris, Biarritz, beyond, beyond, and then the train, and and I'm wondering, what am I doing, you know, uh, what, why am I here? What's going to happen to me in Santiago? I have been knocking my head against 
the, the wall for a number of years with concerning religion. Um, I'm kind of lost. I don't, I drift. I don't feel connected and I want to belong. I want to belong to a faith where I feel convinced that I belong, not just attending because it's a family tradition or whatever. I want to feel that I'm, I'm there, I'm home, I found a home. So I looked at uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Judaism, and Catholicism, and all this stuff, and Buddhism seemed to be the most comfortable, that it was a suggestion of how I should live my life. I don't care if it's Catholic or what it is, it could have been Muslim, it could have been the dome I'm going to, it's so special a place that so many millions of people have struggled to be there. Some died along the way. Some there seeking relief from terrible illnesses years and years ago. Some for penance. And there's so many reasons why people go have gone on pilgrimage to Santiago. It is a special place in my mind. Now, what is going to happen physically when I get there? Am I going to feel the specialness, the energy, the power in that space when I when I get to Santiago. I was really lucky. Like I said, I was ended up with, with Henny from New York and uh, Christopher from England. We fell into a group and we're walking and we're getting four or five days from Santiago and we're saying, I want to slow down. I don't want this to end. I don't want to... Some people say, oh, I hear St. James calling and they want to rush through. We're wanting to slow down, and we got to Monte de Gozo, uh, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock that one day, and we said, we're stopping here because we want to go in at sunrise to Santiago. And we did that. We went at sunrise, and our grouping of seven, we, we split up. We were 30, 40 feet apart. We'd been together so much, but this was the time to be alone, to be to experience this Santiago. And I got to the cathedral and walking through the streets, it was very emotional, and I did feel the energy, the power, of, and I do it every time I go to that cathedral. I know what's happened there. I know what is happening there all the time with all the pilgrims that are being there. And I know how special it is. And uh, it, there was that specialness, that energy, that, that excitement of being in that special space and being down to the crypt and viewing the, the, the tomb where the bones are and being up on the roof. I did a tour of the roof and it's, it's an amazing, amazing place. And even the night that uh, our hospitaleros had that cathedral for our, our Vesper service, candlelight service. It was really a special night. So Santiago in the cathedral in Santiago is a very, very significant special space and around the world for me. It, it always will be. You know, we struggle in mud and sweat and some days we don't go very far, other days we go too far and we finally get there and I was concerned that it just might be another cathedral. Well, it wasn't. It, it, was, it was really special. And when they, when they read, this was 2003, there was 68 pilgrims came in that day. 68. Now I hear there's like 2,000. When I 
went to the noon mass, the Bantafumiero Bonte come out that I was so that had drawn me to to the the cathedral to the pilgrimage. And they read out that April 22nd, one Canadian left St. Jean-Pierre de Port, and everybody looked at me, because everybody knew it was me, and arrived safely today in, in Santiago, and one American, and one German, and they went that way through the whole process of our 68 groups that were there, 68 people that were there. That was special. And to be able to put my hand in the imprint of the tree of Jesse, at the front door where millions and millions before me had put their hand and knocked my head around the other side on Matteo, uh, the architect, forget his name now. Yeah, Master Matteo. Didn't do me any good, but <laughs> didn't learn anything from that. But I was able to get my hand in there a couple of times before they closed that area off. And to me, that was special, again, to be able to place my hand where all those pilgrims, millions before me, had given thanks on one knee for safe passage to, to Santiago. Many pilgrims walk on past Santiago de Compostela to Finisterre and Muxia. Mm. Yes. Why do they do that? I do it every time. I, 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 I decompress. I walk to Santiago, have a, a one-day break maybe, get some sleep and nutrition into me and I gotta walk on I can't I can't stop in Santiago um, I have to go on to Festera I have to go to the end of the earth you know I've always I've thought of that before I even knew about uh, Camino de Santiago you know people would say well you're gonna go to the end of the earth for this or that and it was always in my mind I will go one day to the end of the earth well here it was I didn't know it was there but Festera Finisterre end of the earth, and Musia, and Fistera, up on, you know, to walk there those three days to decompress, to internalize further and deeper what I've learned about myself on those 30 days to get there or whatever. If I've got up the Via de Plata, it's a bit more, but to decompress and to internalize, this is going to be my work when I get home. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is what I need to do for myself, my medicine, to be better, to feel better. Um, and to be in Festera, it's, 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 it's mystical, where the material world meets the spirit world. Up in Mount Fatchmore, Facho, at the very end, at the lighthouse, you know, the, the, the Spain heaves one last time and then slips under the Atlantic, and there is the end, and there is Aerosolus up on top of Mount Facho, where the Druids worshipped the sun. So we've gone, this is the mystical up here, and the materials down here, and they, they were worshipping the sun, uh, just completed the, the Christian pilgrimage to Santiago. The pilgrims of old used to, I'm, I've read and understand, used to go on to Festera, to hedge their bets. So they get seeking absolution and forgiveness of sins in Santiago and then go to Festera and be with the Druids and the sun, worshiping the sun, crying, doubling down, hoping that you know, they're going to cover both bases. And on to Musia, the, the, the Santuario de Nuestra de Barco, with a, a beautiful church on the sea, it's crashing into the shores, and this is apparently where the Virgin did land and appeared. It's just so beautiful. 
that last walk, those last four days, three to Fistera and one to Messia, eucalyptus is all I can smell. You're in the in the forest, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And when I get to Messia, I can take off my boots and take off my backpack, and I'm done. It's over. It's a bus back to Santiago and then home. And I've had those four days to go through what's happened to me in those 30 days to get there. You clearly picked up a lot about Spain's rich culture and history. Do you feel great gratitude that you're able to do that? Yeah, it's, it's important. That, um, and I'd like to learn more about it as when I come back because um, over there I'm seeing the crescent moon on the church, on the Catholic church. And I'm going, why is the crescent, why is the Muslim crescent moon up there? And the special places that we read about in our guidebooks. Like, I love John Briley's, um, the way that he presents his guidebooks, now that I have access to them, with a history, uh, to learn about the Spain, the Reconquista, the, what's happened, the, the Muslims came in and took over and were so <laughs> gracious to the Christians, you can stay here, but we're the law, we're the police, and but you can keep your churches. and. Then when the Christians came in and took it back, they more or less said, you're going to have to go, so away you go. <laughs> but all, all those special places, and to see the crescent moon still on top of the, and the Spanish people to, to honor the, like I'm on the Via de Plata walking, and there's a great big concrete pillar in front of me, and it's in Arabic. And it's talking, it's describing the community, it's new, it's describing the community of Santiago. So for the Spanish to do that and honor their heritage like that, the culture of what's happened in their country, I think is wonderful. I said at the top of the interview, the Camino is very busy at the moment. What advice would you give someone who's keen to go find silence and solemnity only to find it's crazy, busy, and overflowing? Mm, yeah. I haven't been there for a couple of years because of COVID and some, some health and some family problems, or some family issues and some health problems. But if it's that busy, and I, I understand it is that busy, I would end up being back on the Via de Plata, or there are Caminos out there that are very, very quiet. Nobody's really been on them. They're, they're, they've just been marked. People think, oh, there's only, there's one. Oh, you did the Camino? No, I don't, I don't do a Camino. I walk on a pilgrimage. I don't do a Camino. But anyways, they think that Camino Frances is, that's the only one that's out there. There are so many others, um, and if they can find one that's not so busy and, and not so popular, then they'll have a different experience. You know, the first time I loved the, the communitas of the pilgrims, the unstructured grouping of, of pilgrims falling in together and being equal and looking after helping each other. You know, I, I love that. I still do. Uh, but I seem to be seeking myself for the quieter, calmer routes that Via de Plata or Ada Sevilla up through Portugal, quieter. There are some ones up north also that uh, get less and less attention that I think would be good ones for, for, for quietness. What's one thing that you should definitely pack for the Camino? Sense of humor. <laughs> Good. <laughs> really, you know, and or the ability to expect the unexpected, because things happen that you never dreamt of, never would ever think would happen, and they happen. And if you're 
so tied to a tight schedule. I'm not that kind of person, but if you're tied to a tight schedule and you have to be at this place tonight and that place tomorrow night and things don't work out because it rains very hard or the buses don't didn't connect or, or other pe people got missed around somewhere and the, the walking was all mud so it didn't work out and or you got tired or I've had sunstroke over there and I've gone like four kilometers and I've had to say that's it I, I can't stop I have to stop I can't go on anymore then you need to be able to accept that these things happen and if you're if you're open to that knowing that you're vulnerable is really important as well you you are you're going to be vulnerable over there whether you like it or not and being able to be comfortable with that that but also have faith that things are going to be okay somehow things are going to work out great great things to pack sounds like sense of humor Flexibility and faith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yes. What do you want to leave behind then? Leave behind expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, leave behind uh, the, the hustle, the, the, the craziness that's here in North America. That we're also busy. Usually, we're also busy, and uh, <clears throat> being able to go over there, leave this behind, unplug. I know people have cell phones and guides inside their phones now, and this is a bit different to me because I used to carry my paper guidebook from John Briley. <laughs> I hope that people do leave behind those things. If not, they're just taking North America, they're becoming, they're going over there and, and taking everything or from Europe and taking their home with them. You know, that was the whole thing about pilgrimage is you, to me, you, you put yourself out and you, you abandon all this stuff back here and you go there and it's it's, you've left behind so much. That's great. Thank you. Finally, can you give us a Camino story? Dan's always asking for a Camino story. Give us, give us one that, that, that you'd like to tell us, that you'd like to share. Well, I met this, uh, I'll give you two short ones. Sure. Um, and one was important to me. Both were important to me. <laughs> My friend Mark from Amsterdam, I'm walking with him, and I meet him in about three days into my Camino from St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, and he asked me where I started. And I said, St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, like I had you know, just conquered the mountain, the Pyrenees and whatnot. And he said, uh, Amsterdam. And I said, yeah, well, I'm from Canada. Well, where did you start? He said, well, Amsterdam. It's not where he was living, it's where he started from. He walked out his door down the end of the street and there's a yellow arrow. And he'd been at this for two months by the time I saw him. We're walking on the Maseta. I love the Maseta. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. The colors, they're brilliant. They're, the lighting is different. It's, it's like a fantasy to me to be out there. It's, you know, the people in Saskatchewan here in Canada say, it's, oh, it's like watching your dog run away for three days. You're so flat out there. Whoa. And I'm walking to Hontanas, and every time I go to Hontanas, I walk and it says 26 and I have kilometers or whatever and I'm looking at my watch and I've already gone 25. I don't see it. You know, something's wrong. I've gone the wrong way. I've missed a turn, whatever. Something's wrong. But I've got Mark with me from Amsterdam and he kept he kept saying to me all day, how's your backpack? Is it is it any heavier than it was before? Are you okay? Your shoulder's okay? And I kept saying, yeah, yeah. This is, why is Mark going on about my backpack? I'm thinking to myself, how's your backpack? Well, we get to, you know, you get to Hontanas, you just, it dips the 
terrain just dips a little bit and boom, there's this town and this little bit, oh my God, there's Hontanas. Like, wow. So you get up on the second floor of the uh, barricade, get to my, uh, get to my bunk bed and I take out my backpack and he says, can I have my boots back? And I said, you what? You want what? I said, he said, can I have my boots back? I said, your boot? I don't have your boots. He says, yeah, you do. I put them in your <laughs> backpack this morning because <laughs> I wanted you to carry them for me. So I carried his boots that day and we both had a great laugh. That was, it was very funny. The, um, Second short story, short issue I want, I want to mention is about people that you meet. And I, I met a Norwegian on another Camino and we walked a great deal together, a really nice fella. And we're into Santiago and Festera and Lucia and we're back to Santiago and I'm walking him to the bus, the city bus that goes to the airport and I'm going the next day. The bus is starting to come to that bus stop and he says, lucky you you'll be staying one more night in Spain and I'll be in my veterinarian clinic uh, tomorrow. He had one foot on the bus as he was saying that and I looked at him, he looked at me with a shock, both of us. Neither of us had ever mentioned where we had worked or what we were doing in our work lives. And he got to the airport and he messaged me, messaged me on my cheap phone that I had bought over there Dale, I was, I was shocked that I had told you that I, where I worked, and please don't tell me where you used to work. That's what I have found so nice about the Camino. Here in North America, you know, you go to a social event or you meet people, within about five or ten minutes, somebody's asked you, what kind of work did you do or do you do? Over there, we really don't care where you worked or what you did. You're a pilgrim, you're on your way, uh, you're doing the best you can, you're there for a reason. If I'm lucky, after three or four days and you feel comfortable with me, you'll actually tell me why you're really there, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm there. But where you worked, uh, or what your occupation was, uh, it's not important. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, you and I have been friends for years. The Camino brought us together. Uh, there's a quote here, A friend is one who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden. Ah. And we, we've been looking at flowers together for a number of years. Yeah. Buen Camino, my friend. Buen Camino. You know, one of the most important things that I take back from the Camino when you mention those fences is uh, what I learn about myself when I come back is that I should be more tolerant of other people and increase my the amount of patience that I show towards other people friends as well so uh, oh, you're, you're living that Dale I try I try our guest this week has been Canadian pilgrim and hospitalero Dale Boost uh, I'm Tom Friesen I'm with the Canadian Company of Pilgrims you can find us at www.santiago.ca that's it for this week Dan hopes to be back to the microphone very very soon yeah hope he's okay yeah until next week I'm Tom Friesen buen camino buen camino Gracias. Somewhere along the way, someone.